Last week we started this little mini-series I'm doing last week, Sunday, team night this week on Thursday evening. And last week we looked at how Jesus was sent from heaven. God sent his best, for which we should be grateful. And it motivated everything Jesus did, this awareness that he was sent. And then we saw how he confers his identity of sentness onto his disciples and thus onto us as his disciples. We too are sent. And if we've received the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit that forces us, drives us, compels us to go. The living water that we have inside is not meant to be kept, but a reservoir which flows out from us. We saw how we are all missionaries. We didn't want to downgrade those who are missionaries overseas. We thank God for that. And we realize that they have a special calling in that way. But we saw how we are all called and we all have different spheres to which we are sent in order to be an influence. And we said about this series that starts next week, I'm really looking forward to it. I've met with some of the guys that are going to be speaking on it about influence. And it starts with the Bishop of Ely here next week and then others beyond there leading up to the end of the year to equip us in our spheres of influence. And then we saw how sentness means we have to leave safeness. It implies risk and possible rejection. But here's some other good news. It's good news that we're sent. But today I want to concentrate on this. It's good news that we're not called to this sentness alone. We are not sent alone. We are not meant to do this on our own. Now, I could take the whole time talking about the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit has been given, and that He's with us even to the end of the age. Remember what Jesus said when He said about the Great Commission, Matthew 28, Go into all the world, making disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then He said, And lo, in the old authorised version, I am with you always. That's good news. As we go, he's with us. But I don't want to concentrate particularly today on the presence of the Spirit. I want to talk about our togetherness. This place where we're meant to belong together in order to go. We're going together. We belong together. Jesus said that he would build his church. The church is about togetherness. Togetherness and belonging are a big deal to God. I had this revelation, when I say revelation, it kind of hit me earlier this year. God never does anything outside of community. He can't because he is a community. He's Father, Son and Holy Spirit, divine society. He doesn't operate anywhere, anytime outside of community. And so community and belonging is a big deal to God. And we use John chapter 4, and we're going to do it again this week as a kind of uh, launch point for our message. And we'll do the same on Thursday with team night. I'm not going to read it all. I read it all last week. It's a very long passage. I'm just going to read the first part from verse 3. This is John chapter 4, when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. This is verse 3 down to verse 8. So he, Jesus, left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Everyone say had. He had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of the ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus spoke to her and said, would you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. This passage is incredibly detailed. The detail is is striking if we could have time to explore it all. But there are three details that for the early church, for the first century believers, would have stuck out like a sore thumb. And it's these three things I just want to draw our attention to as we've just read that. Number one, this. The woman and the well where she went was outside the city. The disciples had to go into town to get food, but the well was outside the city. Guys, there were other wells that were inside the town, but this one was outside. This was on the outskirts. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. It says it was the sixth hour. That's noontime. This is not the normal time for drawing water. You don't go out in the middle of the day, as the Bible said, only mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun. That's a song, in case you didn't know, it's not from the Bible, but you don't go out in midday and collect water. It's the, the heat of the day. That's an interesting fact. Thirdly, she was alone. She was outside the city, it was noontime, and she was alone. No one went for water on their own. It was always a communal, community activity. It was usually the women... And they were sent out together, usually together, never alone. So why is she out there at midday, outside the city, all alone? Now, as we read the rest of the passage, we get to find out why. Because pretty much she was an outcast. She'd been excluded from the community. Because of her story, because of her past, She'd had five husbands. Now the man she's living with is not her husband. And because of her sin, because of her shame, because of her imperfection, she was outside at noonday on her own. This is what it says about Jesus. That's why I got you to repeat the word had. Let's not lose this fact as we looked at this, this focus. It said he had to go to Samaria. Guys, he didn't. He could have gone the usual Jewish route, which was round the east side via the Jordan, because Samaritans have no dealing with Jews, and especially a rabbi. He didn't have to go through Samaria. It was quite normal to go the long way round. Took longer, three days longer. But hey, that was better than mixing with the Samaritans. So it's not true. He didn't have to go through Samaria. This is why he had to go through Samaria. I want you to hear this. Lean in. Because he was looking for her. He had to go to Samaria. Because in his diary, there was a divine appointment. He had to meet this woman at the well. Because he was going, looking for her. That's why he had to go. This last year, Angie and I, um, and we've still got more to go, We've traveled a lot. If I'm honest, I just want to stay at home. 
But we've still got some more travel. We're going to Liverpool in a few weeks. We're going to Wales in a few weeks. We're going to LA in a few weeks. We're going to Australia in a few weeks. We've got Switzerland. This is all before the end of the year. Some of that's holidays. Some of it's ministry, speaking different places. We've just got to travel. I want to stay home. But we've got to travel to the end of the year. Come on, you can do it. But one, I want to tell you this. One of the most heartwarming experiences you can have in life is when you come off a long, arduous, smelly flight. And particularly for us when we were seeing our daughters again in Australia. You go through immigration. This, is, this happens in all kinds of countries now. As you go through immigration, you get this feeling you're not really wanted. They really, really make you feel like you're not wanted. You're an inconvenience. You're an idiot because you can't work the electronic system yet again. Or you're filled in the wrong form again. You don't feel like you're wanted. Then you go for your bags and you're just hoping they come. I've lost them once in India. The fear of the same underwear for 10 days was paralyzing. I lost it. I got it back the next day. It's a hard. You're waiting there. Then you have to go through these kind of tunnels, you know, I've got nothing to declare. No, you're going through, you go through this narrow. But as you're going through this narrow exit, you know there's someone waiting. And there, you're looking, you're scanning. People are standing there with signs, you know, in front of them. But you're not looking at the signs, you're looking for the eyes. Because you know there's someone, hopefully, that's waiting there for you. Happened to me once where people weren't there in Croatia in the middle of the night. No one was there. And it's so frightening. But this time we walk through. We're looking along. There's our daughters. And the joy, you don't worry about your bags at that point. Let the bags go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. And you run. And you embrace. Anybody else like me? It's a wonderful feeling. It's so warm and embracing and accepting and welcoming. Well, I think so, anyway. <laughs> Come on, Ange, just to make me feel better. Let's have a hug. Oh, it's so... No, this is my wife, by the way. <laughs> she basically slapped my head down. Doesn't matter how long the flight's been, how, how smelly you are, whether you've had time to do your hair. I, I always struggle with that one. When you get there, Welcome. I don't know if you've seen this, but have a look at this. This has gone viral this week on Facebook. Take a look. Five days he's been away. Five days. His dad's 88, he's 53. Guys, that's more fully human than most of us know how to act. That's more pure than most of us allow ourselves to ever, ever respond. Can I just say this to you? Jesus is always looking out for you. He's always waiting to catch your eyes. He's always there as a welcome. Jesus is always looking out for you. Can I catch their eye? Jesus can look at all of us all at the same time and you can feel like the only person in the world. That's our God. Jesus is looking to spot you in a crowd. He doesn't have your name on a board. He has your name written in the palm of his hands. 
Your name is in his heart. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written in his heart. And you say, oh, I'm not good enough. Absolutely. So you are a perfect candidate. Because Jesus couldn't come looking for the perfect. He didn't come looking for those that don't need a doctor. Dr. Jesus came for the sick. Dr. Jesus, the, the, what, the unrighteous, they're welcome. They're the ones he came looking for. Jesus doesn't come looking for perfect people. He comes to seek and save that which was lost. And John chapter 4 that we've just read, that's what the story's all about. It's about inclusion. It's about acceptance. It's about those that are outcasts coming in. And that's why Jesus came. When a first century Jew heard a story involving a well, and a man, and a woman, a certain storyline started to play out in their line, in their, in their head. They knew what this was going to be about. Because usually, a well, a man, a woman, this is a boy meets girl story. This is going to be one of those husband meets wife moments. It's a romantic story. There's a guy called Robert Atler, and he's written a book called The Art of Biblical Narrative. I haven't read it, but I've read John Ortberg who quotes him extensively, and I quote from Ortberg, part of what he talks about in his book is in the ancient world, there would be certain settings where when someone would hear about this setting, they would know what kind of story was going to happen. They would know what to expect. So for example, in our day, if I was to talk to you about a movie and I'd say, Die Hard, you know what's in a Die Hard movie, don't you? Die Hard 1, Die Hard 2, Die Hard with a Vengeance. You never watched a Die Hard movie? I'll tell you now, it's a reluctant hero. There's a lot of blood and guts. There's a lot of gunfighting. You think he's going to die, but somehow he manages to live and it's, the hero gets there in the end. Hey, Die Hard 1, Die Hard 2, Die Hard with a Vengeance. I think there's six of them. They're all the same. Or Mission Impossible. You know what's going to happen. Or... Bond films. How many are there? 26 or something? You know pretty much the storyline and where it's going to go. Same with this kind of story. Boy meets girl, get married at a well. In those days, they didn't have e-harmony, no singles bars. This was the way it went. <laughs> and then this guy, I quoted, what's his name? Uh, Alter. He says four things, certain features that can always be seen in a story. Number one, the future bridegroom or his representative travels to a foreign land and encounters a woman at a well. Number two, somebody draws water. Number three, the said woman runs home with the news. Number four, the stranger is invited to stay. So they knew this is the story. So in the Old Testament, you've got lots of them. We can't explore them too much, but you've got Isaac and his wife, Rebecca. Isaac is naturally at the well. It's a representative. Bit of a clue to the way the story's going to go. Rebecca, she works really hard because she feeds all the camels, but Isaac's a bit passive. That's a clue of what the whole story's going to be like of passive Isaac, but Rebecca's going to be like that. Then you've got another story. Jacob meets Rachel at a well. Jacob has been known as the twister. And he falls in love with beautiful Rachel. And so asks for a hand in marriage. But... God does a number on him and at the altar 
He doesn't marry Rachel, but Leah, the wrong wife, because the veil was there. And he has to work another seven years. He worked seven to get Rachel's hand, but he was tricked. The deceiver, the trickster, was tricked. And then he has to work another seven. Fourteen years before he gets beautiful. Bit of an idea of what Jacob's going to be like, the twister, and how God works in him. Or Moses in Sephora. You hardly hear anything about Sephora. Why? Because it's all about Moses. So you get this boy meets girl story all the time. So here we are, man, woman. Well, here's the problem, guys. You ready? Wrong man. Jesus. Jesus isn't going to get married. Hello? Wrong well. It's outside the city. Uh, Wrong woman. She's Samaritan. We all know Samaritans dress funny, speak funny, act funny, act the wrong way. We know their turncoats, wrong nationality. And the woman, she comes out on her own. She's a rejected woman. She's a loose living woman, maybe. She's a poor woman because she's coming on her own. So wrong tribe, wrong religion, wrong socioeconomic group, wrong woman. And Jesus, with all these barriers that have been set up, He's breaking everyone down and saying, no, because I had to be here to meet this woman. I had to be here. Socioeconomic, gender, religious, no barrier to Jesus. I'm going through. Jesus crosses the line again and again. Not only that, he's a rabbi. He's a teacher. Rabbis aren't supposed to even be seen speaking with women in public. And not only does he talk to her, he has a theological debate with her about the nature of worship. Hello? One of the best passages for worship in the Bible. And he has a theological discourse with her, which really, when you read it, it's a little bit like a red herring. She takes him off on this one. But he goes with it. And he respects her and he dignifies her. Why? Because Jesus wanted her to belong. Can I say to you, This is the gospel. This is for God so loved the world in action. This is Jesus who comes seeking and saving that which was lost. This is not God loving the world in theory. This is God loving the world in action. He's stooping. First service is much better in response than you. In action. This is, the Hebrew word for grace means to stoop. This is Jesus stooping. This is the greater. Uh, uh, no, this is the greatest. Taking the initiative and stooping. Taking the initiative and stooping. What really struck me as well when I was reading this passage was how Jesus puts himself in need to this woman. Give me a drink of water. Now, we know it's not going to be about water, but I had this thought this week, just, and I asked the Lord for a vision, but I didn't get one. Did Jesus ever get his glass of water off this woman? <laughs> I wonder, did, I've, never, I've not seen anyone ask that question ever, because probably it's totally irrelevant, but I, I sat in my office for 45 minutes trying to see anywhere, is there any indication that he got a wa- drink of water? You know what? We don't know. I know it wasn't really about the water. But he he puts himself in need. Do you not think, hey, this is the same Jesus 
that told the wind and the waves to stop and he walked on the water. Same Jesus. Not a different one. Same one. He could have just gone to the well. They reckon the well was about 120 feet deep. He could have just sat on it and surreptitiously leant over and just gone. <laughs> Couldn't he? Does anyone else think he could? <laughs> Everyone do a big, big suck in. <laughs> he could have done that. He's, he's, he's Jesus. Jesus. No one would have known, but no. He says, give me a drink of water. What? You're going to make yourself unclean by, speaking, by drinking from a cup that a Samaritan woman has drunk from? Yeah. If she'll give me a drink. If she'd have just said, yeah, have a drink. He put himself in need. We were watching uh, The One Show this week. Anybody watch The One Show? No one seems to want to admit this. Is there something wrong? It's usually about dinner time. Anybody watch The One Show this week? Come on. Seven of us. Come forward now. No, no, no. There was a comedian on there, Scottish comedian. I don't know her name. She's written a book which is called something about random acts of kindness. Anyone seen this? And she was just suggesting that the world would be a better place if we were just kind to people. It's hard sometimes to put yourself in need or even to respond to someone else's need. But can I just say this? Whenever we can, let's meet needs. Let's just meet a need. Whatever you can do it, do it. So yesterday I went to the gym. I was thinking about this in the gym. It's mad in town going to DW Gym. And I, I always take with me in my wallet... Uh, my pass, to be honest, I've lost my pass, so I took my wife's. So he looked at it and he, he said, uh, Angie Campbell? Yeah, that's me. So we, walk, we, walked, we walked in, I walked in, and I always keep a pound in my um, wallet because the lockers take a pound. So I always keep it there, put it in, means I've not, not got to replace my keys for a pound at the desk or something like that. And then I finished... The guy comes up to me as I've finished. I'm just about to walk out and uh, he says to me, uh, he had 50p and two 20s and a 10 in his hand. He said, have you got a pound coin I could have, mate? Here's the first thought that I thought. I thought, I'm, I'm going to tell him no. That was my first thought. I'm just being honest with you. Then my second thought was, that's a lie. Then my first, third thought was, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and then my fourth thought was, what if he was there last Sunday? <laughs> And he says, what kind of pastor are you? So on that basis, I decided I'll tell him the truth. So I thought, I'm going to tell him. Then my next thought was, thought number five, I'm telling the truth. I'm going to say, yeah, I've got a pound, but it's a pound that I keep just for my exclusive use. I don't even let my wife have it if she's forgotten hers when we go to the gym because I always say, you should bring your own pound. <laughs> That's the kind of man I am. It's, so, so we're standing there. That's going through my mind. And then I thought, Kind. He's humbled himself to put himself in need. So I said, yeah, I've got a pound. But because I'm a sanctimonious person, I thought, I'm going to tell him. This is my only pound. And I keep this pound for only coming to the gym. I don't spend it. It's only when I come to the gym. And he looked at me. He wasn't bothered. He just said, that's kind. G gave me his money and I thought, well, but as I walked away, I felt so good. Now, it's not about feeling good, I know, but it helps a little bit, doesn't it? I'm walking away and I felt good. I thought, I gave him my pound. 
I got in the car and I thought, I'm going to do some more acts of kindness. The traffic was horrendous. So everyone that's trying to get out, this is in the Beehive Centre, I thought, I'm going to let them out. <laughs> I'm sitting in my car, I'm thinking, I'm so good. I'm so kind, I'm so like a pastor should be. This, is, this feels great. I've lost any reward, of course, related to that in heaven by telling you, but... I think that Scottish comedian, whatever her name is, is right. The world could be better if we're just a little kinder. Just kind. Jesus, he's so aware of what this woman needs, but he puts himself in need. Can I just ask us to be this? Jesus was so humble. So humble. If you struggle with, I'm not going to ask it. Anybody here think they're really humble? <laughs> There's only me that's got my hand off. You can't answer that question ever, ever, can you? This is the best way to stay humble. Do the habits of humility. Whatever they are, whatever you think humility looks like. So sometimes when I'm thinking, how do I be humble? I think, what does humble look like? And so I act in that way. Jesus was humble. I think we have to be supremely confident in the gospel message, but never arrogant in ourselves. And I think more people have been put off the gospel, not because of the message, but because of the messenger. Hello? It's the messenger. There's a great survey, we sent it to you a while back, the UK Church in Action, Perceptions of Social Justice and Mission in a Changing World. This is by World Vision and Barna. And they, in the introduction, talk about this. UK adults, so this is general population, see a mixture of good and bad characteristics in the Christian church, but some of the most common ones they select from a list of potential options aren't too flattering. Listen to this. Unfortunately, it seems Christian communities strike the general public as hypocritical. 24% of the general public think Christians are hypocritical. 23%, this is the word they use about Christians, say they're judgmental. And a further 20% say that we're anti-science. Hypocritical, 24%. Judgmental, 23%. Anti-science, 20 That's what the general population thinks about the church. Do you think they're right? I've got a mixture of nods and shaking the head. I'm afraid that they might be right. I think I'm not like that. But maybe I just stepped into pride being like that. Maybe I am one of the most judgmental individuals in the, on the face of God's earth. Hey, do you think you're not good enough? Come and join my group. Hello? You think you're not acceptable to Jesus? Come and join my group. He breaks every barrier to get to us. Jesus doesn't come for the perfect. May we be those that perfectly measure truth and grace. Jesus doesn't back off from the truth to this woman. He doesn't say, hey, it's okay that you're living with your husband. Hey, Jesus believed in marriage. He doesn't say it's all right. He just says, I know your situation, but I still love you. I think if this woman had ignored the message, Jesus would have still loved her because that's the Jesus I serve. And he just still said, yeah, come on, come on, come with me. 
We would have worked on it more and more, but he measured truth and grace perfectly. Chris Hodges says this, truth without grace is mean. I've met some of those Christians. Grace without truth is meaningless. If we had time, and we haven't got time, guys, it's gone. I'd go through the number of occasions in the New Testament where Jesus uses a Samaritan issue as an issue. So the disciples just want, hey, they're walking through a town in Samaria and they won't listen to the gospel. They're not listening to our message, Jesus. This is what the disciples say. Should we nuke them? As if they even could. Let's nuke them. Let's obliterate these people. No! Jesus says, because they are the ones I've come to reach. What about the leper who's a Samaritan? The only one that comes back, he's a Samaritan. What about the parable of the good Samaritan? Good and Samaritan do not go together. But they do it, Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Come to me, you from every ethnic group in the world. Come from me, from every socioeconomic group. Come, come. He breaks down barriers. Two questions I've got for you as I finish. Number one, what line have you got to cross? Have you got to cross? 11.30 service, you got to cross in order to belong. See, Jesus melted her heart with love and acceptance. She was undone. But don't forget this. Jesus didn't change who he was. He was still a man. He was still a Jew. He was still a rabbi. And he still told the truth. So he didn't change who he was. He didn't compromise. She still had to accept his message. She still had to do her bit in stepping over the line. I'll put it another way. Here's a drink. It's living water. She still had to take the cup and drink it. Spiritually, we're talking. She still had to do that. We are devoted here at C3 to not just forming a crowd. I'm glad you're all here. We want every single one of you. And come again. And if you don't feel good enough, come and join my group. That's all I'm saying. We're all in the same boat. None of us do. There's no room at the table for perfect people. That's all right. That's why Jesus came. But we're not just about making Christians we're about making disciples and upstairs in our lounge at the end of the service we've got our C3 groups for and we want everyone to be part of a C3 group hey busy people not so as we can fill your life with more busyness but that so you might know and be known that's why we do it because we think it's the best way to help people to belong Sundays are good but they're not the best there's other places so upstairs we have our C3 groups for which is your opportunity to meet group leaders ask questions and find a group that is right for you in this coming term please visit the first floor lounge get a free coffee or buy your artisan coffee down here go in there'll be instructions on signing up for a group and a program and information boards in the fair and if you regularly attend a group you don't need to sign up but it really is over to you drink let me read to you from Brenny Brown who's a professor she says this she's done a lot of research around courage vulnerability and shame and she writes contrary to what most people think belonging 
is not fitting in. In fact, she writes, fitting in is the greatest barrier to belonging. Fitting in, I've discovered during the past decade of research, is assessing situations and groups of people and twisting yourself into a human pretzel, I like that, in order to get them to let you hang out with them. Belonging is something else entirely. It's showing up and letting yourself be seen and known as you really are. As you really are. Finished with this story, there was a woman who rings her friend. She calls up and she says, hey, how are you doing? Bit of a bad line, but her friend says, awful, I'm sick, I'm tired. The kids are ransacking the house. My mother-in-law is coming tomorrow. The kids need feeding. The house is in the mess. The beds need making. So a friend feels sorry for her and says, hey, go to bed. I'm on my way. I'll come round. I'll cook and I'll clean and I'll make the beds. I'll be there as quick as I can. And anyway, how was your hubby, Sam? And the lady says on the other end, uh, uh, my husband isn't Sam. She says, oh no, I'm sorry, but I've called the wrong number. And the exhausted lady on the other side says, are you still coming over? Are you still coming over? Jesus knows the woman at the well and her situation, but he's still coming over. Jesus knows that Peter's going to deny him and he's going to swear his head off to try and prove he's not a disciple. Jesus is still coming over. Jesus has the woman caught in adultery in front of him. Jesus is still coming over. He's still coming over. And we've got to make sure we keep coming over the line. And this is my second question to finish. What line have you got to cross to allow others to belong? What line have you got to cross? Hey, we'll do anything, won't we, to reach more people? Hello? What line have we got to cross? How have I got to make myself uncomfortable in order to reach over the line? We'll do anything, won't we? I hope we will, because on Thursday you're going to hear us some of the anything we're willing to do as a team on team night. We'll do anything. What line have you got to cross to help others to belong? Here's my challenge to you as you go. Kind of all think we know each other, and that's nice. Nice to know one another, isn't it? We feel secure and safe. We know. I know Andy here. He's a good guy. So at the end of the service, I, I might want to talk to him, but I'm not going to talk to him because I know him. Well, this gentleman sitting here. Sorry to identify you sitting behind me. I'm going to go up to you at the end and say, "Hi, my name's Steve. What's your name?" E N G A. Hey, where are you from? here in Cambridge good to meet you I won't go right down your family but I've just met someone I didn't know before looking around don't know this guy here sorry to you didn't everyone was looking down so my name's Steve what's your name Kyra nice to meet you do you work out Kyra which gym do you go to it's amazing you're having a lot more success than me so what, what do you do Hey, do you know what? There's another guy over here and he, he works out. I noticed him before. I thought, where do you work out? What, what's your name? Hi, I think we may have met before. My name's Steve. Would you like to stand? George. Jordan. Jordan. You, you, 
work out, don't you? Why don't you go and talk to Kira? He might be in a different gym than you. Go ahead, go on, go and say hi to him. No, my point is this. My, my point is this. I might never talk to these guys ever again. But look at me. I don't care. Because now they're friends. Look at them. It's like they're old buddies. Hey, look, hugging each other, kissing. away so you just hi Charlotte nice to meet you how come you got a badge on that's first time coming is that the name of your daughter or that you're not your Charlotte so what I thought the name went on the oh okay yeah at least you got kids somewhere how old's your boy Ace Do you, are you from Cambridge where about Chesterton eight year old anyone else in the room got an eight year old son oh you're all scared now come on What's your name, Chief? Can you use Steve, Steve Miranda Cannon? Uh, you work out, yeah. I, I, I would never have known. <laughs> you see, I know him well, I know. He, you know what this man is into? Hot pod yoga. Anybody here into a hot pod yoga? A lady over there. Why don't you go and meet them? They're hot podders, likewise. But before you do, meet this lady down here. She's from Chesterton. She's got an eight-year-old son just like you. If I never talk to you again, Charlotte, because Miranda will now become your best friend. No pressure. That was quick, Steve. Go and talk some more. Do you get my point, guys? What boundary do you have to walk over? All right, Steve, you don't need to sit there. It's okay. We got some of the most obedient people in this church. Why do you have to walk over to invite someone to the Alpha Supper? So as that you can say, put the initials on, put it in the inviting box. We pray for them every time we go past. Because we want those that don't feel like they can belong to belong. We so easily group. And I'm not saying, you know, don't group, don't have or meals but this is what we tend to do isn't it hey Andrew we like you and your wife Rachel she's good too come on so we gather together and we go moo moo because we, we like to herd that's what Christians do moo come on you're not mooing moo moo okay thank you and it's great we enjoyed our moo but you'd be better to break out so when this meeting finishes we're going to sing a song when we, when we finish, I'm a nightmare for the cameraman today, aren't I? When we finish, for the first three minutes, why don't you not talk to anybody you know? Just cross over some boundaries, break some barriers. Because if we're going to be known for everything in this city, we want to be known that we accept everyone. Everyone, because every human being is made in the image and likeness of God.